This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Point high slot. Shoot! Score! 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 Braden Point! Braden Point! Braden Point! The Lightning win it! They win it in the fifth overtime! Three to two! Like to see more of that today, no doubts. By the way, did you check out Andre Palat's comments yesterday regarding Braden points? I thought they were very interesting. And by the way, I agree with it 100%. We're going to talk about that a little bit throughout the show today. Adam Hall, former Lightning forward, analyst now at Sun Sports, will join us in our next segment. Of course, we have got game four for you today. Pre-games at 2.30, puck drops at 3. Dave Mishkin and Phil Esposito will have the call for you there. And let me bring in my partner in crime, the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can at Bolts Radio or at Greg Linnelli or at Dave Mishkin. I also want to touch on Dave uh, throughout. We've made so much talk about Columbus's structure and how hard they are to beat when they're playing really well defensively and forcing things to the outside and not allowing a ton of shots. But maybe we weren't talking enough about how hard it would be for Columbus to play Tampa Bay's game if the Lightning ever got the lead or controlled play. And I thought in Game 3, particularly in the second and third periods, especially when you take a look at the shot total, it really stood out to me how difficult it was for Columbus to really gain any traction when, for the most part, the Lightning were controlling play. I guess, you know, we try and be fair on the show and bring it from both angles, but I feel like that was a really good example of why Columbus... If they are going to struggle in this series for long stretches, that would be their Achilles heel keeping up with Tampa Bay because they're such a great puck possession team. And that's something Columbus really had a tough time dealing with in game three. John Cooper was asked about the puck possession advantage. And he said, it wasn't just that we possessed the puck. We had good puck play. So you can possess the puck, but if you have a, turnover that's at an inopportune time it might fuel the other team's attack you might own 70 to 75 percent of the possession but if you have poor puck play at least isolated mistakes it can come back and hurt you and the lightning really didn't have much of that at all they had the three on one that nash scored on and i guess texier had a decent look in the second period but Given how much time the Lightning had the puck in that game in the second and third periods, they did very well not only to get the puck but maintain possession and keep Columbus stuck in the defensive zone. At least the point that when Columbus finally got the puck, the best they could do is get it out and get fresh players on the ice. So that's another way that you limit the other team's attack by the time that they finally get the puck away from you they need to go to the bench for a change. And the Lightning executed that extremely well in the final 40 minutes. So let's look at the way these two teams, quote-unquote, defended with the lead. And we have really high-level play from Columbus in Game 2, and then we have really high-level play from the Lightning in Game 3. The way Columbus defends, they're willing to cede possession. They will sit back 
they will wait for you to make a mistake. And if you make a mistake, they will capitalize on a counter chance or try to capitalize on a counter chance. But they are content to sit back and disrupt plays and protect the front of the net in their own zone. They'll let you have the puck in their end. Or at least uh, what, I, what I should say is, I mean, ideally, they don't want the puck in their end. But if it's in their end, they're content to just protect the front of the house, make sure nothing dangerous comes about, and then when they get it, they chip it out. And as we saw in game two, they did that very well. Yeah. And it was very frustrating for the Lightning and really for any team to have to go against an opponent that takes away your time and space and does not let pucks get to dangerous areas. But the Lightning, while they also defended very well, and we can see that in the shot attempts and shots on goal that Columbus had in the second and third, the Blue Jackets only had seven shots on goal in the final 40 minutes and only 13 attempts. They only attempted 13 shots in the final 40 minutes. The Lightning did it a different way. They pressed the attack, not recklessly like we just talked about, but they had the puck in the Columbus end, so the Columbus didn't even get a chance to be in the lightning zone. And both sides, I think, in these two games executed extremely well. So I guess what you're saying is, can we can we read into how, how the lightning played in game three and say this is going to be a problem for Columbus? Well, I guess it, it potentially could be a problem for Columbus, but there are two other factors here that I think are the X factors in how a team goes through its game plan because Columbus executed its game plan very well in game two when they got the lead and the lightning did the same in game three. The first is you can say as a coach, we want to play this way, but the players actually have to go out and execute, right? So, I think the Lightning executed very well in Game 3, but also Columbus did not. Columbus was not as good in their structure. They gave up a two-on-one to Alex Kalorn and Anthony Sorelli in the first period, which led to a very big goal. They gave up a chance to Victor Hedman where he jumps into the play off the rush and gets an open look in the slot. We were not seeing that with any sort of regularity from Columbus in terms of how they were defending earlier in the series. So while the Lightning executed very well in Game 3, Columbus did not execute as well as they as they have. And I think the same is true in Game 2. The Lightning did not execute as well in terms of navigating through Columbus's structure as maybe they had done earlier in the series. And then the other part is, how much wind do you have at your back? And that is a really important component of hockey, as we have talked about. Greg, momentum is real within a game. And whether it was due to the fact that the game unfolded a certain way, Columbus had some chances early, couldn't get the lead, the Lightning got the lead. Torts talked about the cumulative effect. Finally, he felt, not that he said finally, I'm saying finally, but he said we hit we hit a wall. And people were like, well, when is Columbus going to hit a wall, right? They played all this hockey. Maybe it happened in game three. But whatever the reason, the Lightning were on their toes and they were quicker to pucks than Columbus. And that's not something that you drop on the dry erase board. That has to do with going one-on-one against your opponent and having the higher will 
to get to a loose puck. And the Lightning in the second and third were simply quicker to pucks. I don't know that that's going to happen today. I think the Lightning would love to see that happen today. But again, we're we're trying to read into the future about what happened in the past. And this is a new game. It's a new day. And we've seen Columbus play a lot better from their standpoint, like you talked about, seeing it from the Columbus side. Columbus did not have a good game three. And I think if you're the Lightning, you have to expect that they will be better today in game sure. four. And I, I think the point, and I, I know you see this, I think the point I was making was that for sure there are some things that Columbus will correct and I expect them to bounce back. But I think a big reason why they struggled in game three was because the Lightning forced them out of their comfort zone. And Agreed. I, and I, I want to see if that, I want to see whoever imposes their will on the other team, which team struggles more to push back and make it more of a an even match. In other words, I think Columbus at times you can make a case, Dave, when they're controlling play, when they're keeping things to the outside. Yeah, it seems tough, but you know what? You feel like the Lightning, it just takes one play for them to to even even things out. Whereas with Columbus, I think if Tampa Bay plays the way they did in game three, I think Columbus has a harder time pushing back than if Columbus is playing their game and Tampa Bay finds a way to make it more competitive. And maybe that's just more talent than anything else, but I think it's something that certainly I'm going to be watching for uh, through on, uh, throughout this series when we talk about imposing your will and your system on another team. The other thing I want to get to, Dave, before we get to Adam, because I, I did want to touch on the Palat comments about Braden Point's I also want to talk about Tuka Rask. You know, it's more of a national topic, but I think it's one that's very interesting because in some ways <laughs> that hits home here in Tampa because Boston competes in the Lightning's division, and it's it's something we've seen um, happen here, and it's, I, I think, pretty remarkable. But I thought Ryan McDonough had one of his better games from the back end, and I know a lot of attention has been put on Victor Hedman and Seth Jones and Wierenski, and rightly so, elite defensemen. But I think when Ryan McDonough is playing as well as he's playing, not only is he good positionally, he's, he's a good penalty killer, he's a good skater, Dave. And he's jumping up in the play and he's making the right reads. I felt like we saw more of that in Game 3 than, let's just put it this way, recently during this time. And I'm wondering if you felt the same way and, and how really that bodes well for Tampa Bay moving forward. You could make the argument that Braden Point's goal that made it 2-1 to one Lightning was maybe the biggest goal in the game. They were all big. All three goals right. were big for the Lightning, including the first one because they got the lead. And certainly those early penalty kills were a big part of how the game unfolded. The fact that the Lightning got through those without allowing a goal. So it was 0-0 zero, zero after they kind of weathered the storm there with, with the three penalty kills. But that goal that point scored, there's a lot that went into it. Point won the faceoff and then got position in front of the net where he was able to jump on a rebound and put it in. The Lightning have not had a lot of second chance opportunities against the Blue Jackets and against Corpusalo. But McDonough is also a big part of why that goal is scored because as soon as Point wins the faceoff, McDonough slots into an open spot at the left circle gets the puck from Kucherov, he's open, 
and he unloads a, a heavy shot that's up high. And I don't know that he's – if you're shooting for a rebound, it's usually lower. But he definitely shot it in an area where it was going to be hard for Corpusalo if he stopped it to control easily. It's up around his his left shoulder, kind of left upper body. And unless you're going to catch that with your glove, which is on your left side, Corpusalo catches with his left hand – it's probably going to hit you and and drop down. And that was the situation where Point was able to get position in front. Remember, it was after an icing, too. So I don't remember off the top of my head how long the shift had been for the Blue Jackets prior to the icing. But whatever the reason, Point was able to get position in front. So he was the guy to jump on the rebound and put it in. And the Lightning went up 2-1, to one, and they never were in a tie game situation again. That's one play, but I agree with you. I think McDonough has has really been on point, so to speak, right. in terms of being in the right place at the right time, jumping up when it's appropriate to jump up, but also using his superior skating to make sure that he's always in the right position. Adam Hall will join us next. We'll get his thoughts on the series to date. What's it like going against a team like Columbus that plays very sound structurally? And may ask him about the Tukarask scenario as well that's playing out. But before we do that, bring the food from Amelie Arena to your house each game day with Lightning Game Day Eats to go powered by Curate TPA. Food can be ordered up to three hours prior to puck drop through the first intermission. Then you pick up the food curbside at Amelie Arena. For the menu and details, go to AmelieArena.com slash CuraTPA to place your order. Again, hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. And our lineup today, don't forget, we've got the Block Party at 1, then Power Lunch Replay at 1.30, which is going to be fun for you to listen to us one more time. And then, of course, we've got the pregame at 2.30 and the puck dropping a little bit after 3 with Dave and Phil on the call. We've got you covered throughout the day. It's Game 4 between Tampa Bay and Columbus. Adam Hall up next, right here on Lightning Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Glad you're with us. It's game day. That's right. Three o'clock puck drops. We'll be on the airwaves with pregame starting at 2.30. But, of course, we take you all the way till 1 o'clock here on Power Lunch. I am Greg Linelli, along with the radio voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Dave Michigan. And joining us right now, played a number of years in the National Hockey League, now an analyst as well. Let's welcome to the program Adam Hall. Adam, first off, bud, great to be with you. Thanks so much for coming on. And Boy, as someone who played in the NHL and now covers it, how fun is it for you watching all these games on TV? Certainly not normal circumstances, but if you love hockey, Adam, this has to be a treat to watch and cover. Yeah, again, thanks for having me on. Uh, this is, especially after being, this is fantastic, after being starved for hockey for so long, especially like so many hockey fans are, uh, to have this many games uh, right away, is, I, I think it's it's like you're in heaven, uh, having something to watch. Uh, it seems like it starts at noon and doesn't end until midnight. There's games on all the time. One of the talking points going into the series, Halsey, was what effect, if any, would the length and the difficulty of the Toronto series for Columbus have on Columbus in this series? And then they start off with a five-overtime game. And we do know that there is a cumulative effect in a long playoff run of having to play hard, tough hockey that can rear its ugly head at some point down the road. 
And we didn't really see it from the Blue Jackets, maybe until Game 3, and Torch talked afterward. He said we hit a wall, and he kind of alluded to that. I'm just wondering, because you've played in these multiple overtime games, what is the challenge, both physically and mentally, to recovering from something like that? And is it is it easier to recover mentally, or is it easier to recover physically to make sure that you're not wearing that on your back as a series progresses? Yeah, uh, honestly, I think in a lot of respects, it's almost easier to recover physically, which isn't easy at all, especially after five overtime game, grueling long series, and, and you physically adjust, but it's quantifiable where you, okay, there's certain things you can recover as much as you can. You play as much as you can. You can't control that. But when you are, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to get your sleep and your rest and everything else, uh, and they have, you know, things that you can do to actually recover. And so you, you know if you're doing everything you can, sleep and, and recovering and, and uh, nutrition and all that stuff. So there's only so much you can do there but you can quantify that and make sure you're taking care of it the mental side uh, you never know long playoff runs there's so much emotion uh, that goes into it it's a roller coaster within every single game and add through within every series and, and throughout the playoffs so to go through things like qualifying for the playoffs that's in itself a playoff series and an emotional roller coaster. Then you get through that and you have a five overtime game, which is so mentally draining on these players to be able to come back. And, and at least the Lightning were able to kind of go through and, okay, you feel like you were rewarded for all that hard work. To be able to go through all of that, almost three full hockey games, and then lose that, to me, that would be one of the mental mountains you'd have to climb in Columbus. And they're able to do that. You know, I think Tortorella is known for building his teams, not just physically tough with everything he's done in training camps and throughout seasons, but uh, mentally tough where uh, they need each other. It takes the whole team. So um, the Lightning are going to have to contend with that where this Columbus team isn't ever going to just kind of roll over. And now, okay, I guess the series is over You know, with a couple games to go. They're going to know they have to battle through that every single game. So even if they get that five overtime win, Columbus comes back. You know they got the. I thought Lightning did a great job playing that consistent style of play last game uh, for the you know the latter part of it uh, uh, after the the five on three penalty kill in the first you know few minutes, um, and then you see. Columbus, you know, what are they thinking right now? They're gonna try and answer back after that again. So um, I think it'll be interesting to watch the start of this one. Adam, I'm trying to remember the. The year Pittsburgh, because I think you were, yeah, you were on that team that went three OTs against Detroit mm -hmm. in the Stanley Cup final. Sakura scores that game winner. And the reason why I bring that up, I'm just curious, you went through a long overtime stretch. What uh, Stanley Cup finals may be a little bit different. You're playing off of energy. There's a crowd there. But, you know, getting through the next game, getting through the next practice, what were you doing in between the uh, intermissions to uh, physically get ready? Yeah, like I said, there's there's things that you're physically doing where you're you're trying to just kind of rest, rehydrate. You know, there's nutrition things that they that they have. Um, you're trying to you know you're you're talking, you're doing whatever you can to make adjustments during the game, whether it's coaches or line mates. Uh, but yeah, at some point, it's almost like um, you know there's a certain uh, fatigue that sets in, whether it's uh, physical or mental. You know, I think I think once players get tired uh it's the decision making that really you know uh, is affected and, and you can't really uh you never know when it's going to come into play it's it's just whether it's a pass that's not quite as sharp or as good and it ends up in a turnover and it's you know there's certain things that happen throughout games where it's um it's hard to see that the players might look like 
they have the exact same speed almost sometimes, or they're or they're battling just as hard. Um, but you'll see the decision making almost like who to pass to, when to when to try and beat a guy. You may mentally think, oh, I, I've always been able to you know go around this player before in this manner. But your legs just happen. You try here. The brain is is willing. You think you can almost, but you kind of get there and and you find out okay, the legs weren't quite there, and and so you almost have to uh, adjust your play a little bit and know yourself as a player, uh, know yourself as a team, and, and coaches have to know that and, and who's able to make those adjustments almost you know overtime to overtime period we had dave anrichak on this show earlier in the series after the series had started so we had already had some emotional swings and we were talking about how as spectators spectators feel the emotions right to the bone like after a win you're on top of the world after a loss you feel like that's it the series is over even if it isn't and we asked andy as a player and a captain how tough it is for the players because you hear the players talk about we need to move on we can't overreact to a win or a loss how tough is it for a player and for a team to not ride that roller coaster it is it's it's the natural um it's a natural momentum of things to be excited when you win an overtime game you know you look at the right one point scores that you can just tell the relief and guys are laughing it's almost like you know it's not like they're um the intensity isn't there it's almost like relief and and uh just because it's it's over and they were able to, able to capitalize on it but um so i think you're enjoying it in that moment but I think these guys are professional uh, enough and experienced enough where they know, okay, there's nothing. It doesn't mean anything now. Like you win and then you have to be ready for the next one because, you know, you you either capitalize on and win the next one to extend that lead or, uh, again, Columbus was able to come back. And now, I mean, that almost it ties a series. Now it's, it does, the last two games don't even matter, game one and game two. Now it becomes a five-game series, and so it's back to even. Uh, so it, it's that's how it goes, if, back and forth, and that's why – you know, it takes a long seven-game series. Some That five-overtime game might not even show up in Columbus or, or Lightning's legs until game seven. And if maybe that goes in overtime. And then, okay, did it build up from, you know, that game one? Or did it did Columbus having to go through qualifying round against Toronto, does that matter in game seven of, of this round? So I, I really believe that, you know, the playoffs of the NHL are built that way for a reason. It's a war of attrition. Uh, you have to have good depth because if you just have one line or one top scorer, eventually they're going to get exhausted. Teams will make it more difficult for them, and you won't make it through to the next round. And so that you look at the teams that are able to win on a consistent basis in the playoffs, they always have depth. When you focus on, you know, a Kucherov point scoring, when you focus on point, if somebody else steps up, you get fourth liners, third liners scoring, you get Hedman jumping up in the rush. Right when you think you maybe have their forwards under control, Hedman's joining the rush, and it's an odd man rush again, and he scores. So, um when you have games like that and um, when you have teams that are able to not just maybe outscore you in a kind of run-and-gun game, but then you have Vasilevsky saying things like he's feeling confident. And, you know, out of Vezina winners, when they say something like that, you got to, you gotta, you know, that's a pretty intimidating team to play against, I think. Uh, so when you have all those different pieces, I think it just kind of um, it all fits together nicely for, you know, a long playoff run. And uh, But, again, it's it's you accomplish something, and then mentally you have to be able to move on and, okay, how do we capitalize on the next piece of it? Adam Hall joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play, getting you set for Game 4 this afternoon, Tampa Bay and Columbus. Adam, when each team is playing their best, who has a more difficult time adjusting? Tampa Bay to Columbus or Columbus to Tampa Bay? That's a tough one. I think I think I may go with Columbus just because <clears throat> I think in the past we've gotten used to the Lightning as this high-powered offense. We've seen them 
com- be completely comfortable in six to five overtime games or being down a goal. And I mean, when they're at home and they have a crowd, and they can generate the energy, you know, in their building. It's like they just believed, okay, we'll just tie it up somehow and we'll just win an overtime or shootout. And it just became this, okay, well, they'll just do it. And everybody just believed uh, because they have those kind of game breakers uh, that can see, succeed in those situations. Now you're seeing the Lightning kind of make this transition better and better to this team defense where the, their puck possession, they're winning lower scoring games, one goal games. Um, they're able to fend off one goal leads, not scoring empty netters, but just kind of protecting it and, and being able to limit uh, other teams' shots, you know, five on five, uh, being able to kind of really control that piece of the game, um, making the other team chase them and it does it wastes way more energy when you don't have the puck you're forced to play defense you're reacting rather than being proactive and you're chasing the other team so when the lightning are able to control that puck more columbus is forced to chase them generate that energy try and forecheck more um, and so i think that kind of is is winning the energy battle as well and in the long series you know as we talked about that's going to make a huge difference the lightning made a lineup change for game three they put in Verhey. you had a really strong game and had the assist on the headman goal that you just referenced, and they took out Mitchell Stevens, and Phil and I, heading into the game, were wondering how the Lightning would handle shorthanded face-offs in Stevens' absence because as far as their regular group of penalty killers, he is the only right-handed centerman that they use. They have Tyler Johnson, they have Braden Point, but typically those guys are not coming out for PK. And sure enough, it was Goodrow. So you have Goodrow who's a lefty, you have Gord who's a lefty, you have Sorelli who's a lefty, you have Paquette who's a lefty. These guys kill penalties. But we know Dubois is going to take the face off and they get to pick. So it's going to be to the right of the goalie, which means the lefty face off man is on his weak side. You took a lot of PK face offs and you were a righty. But when you had to win an important faceoff and you were on your weak side, so the blade is farther away from the linesman and it's harder to, to win it back on your backhand, what strategies did you use to help in that regard? Because the Lightning did struggle on faceoffs during the Columbus power plays early in game three, even though they killed off the penalties. Yeah, that's uh, I, I always say you're um – you're only limited by your imagination with face-offs. So much of it, uh, there's, there's a lot of different ways to approach it. I know some players that, um, especially early on maybe in your career, if you just know how to do, if you just do one thing, some are based on quickness and reaction, some are based on strength. Uh, uh, there's a lot of different positioning, the, the things you can do. It's, it's less and less now uh, once they have these rules where they really concentrate on how set players are with the lines uh, and where their sticks are and everything. Um, but there are things you can do where the other player sets up differently depending on how they um, where they place their stick. They're t- they'll try and do different things to throw you off with their timing, uh, how long they make kind of the referees wait to drop the puck. So there's a lot of different things um, that you kind of go through. And we would watch tons of video on the opposing centerman you're going against. And you, they have tendencies that you can kind of uh, anticipate. And so when you're able to do that and prepare that way, um, you know, you go through and you try and negate what they're trying to do. You force them into uh, decisions they don't want to weigh. You, you make them as uncomfortable as possible. If he always wants to line up a certain way and, and draw the puck one way, well, you take away that decision or you make that as hard as possible. Make him try and think about doing something else. Um, so there are ways you can kind of position it um, and, and um, 
so there's always, you know, again, it's just at the very basic uh, level, it's just you against him, and you have to be quicker, stronger, you know, at at, uh, at the very uh, uh, at the very base of it. So um, it's just one of those things. I, I always loved it because, you know, I heard somebody say one time that it's, it's one of the purest one-on-one battles in the game of hockey. Uh, just if you're uh, going against the play is stopped, it's one of the most controlled things. If you're able to win that face-off uh, and, and just start your team off with the puck, I mean, there's statistics that uh, you look at for whether it's for penalty kills, uh, power play, even strength all over the ice and when you're able to give your team the advantage of starting with that puck possession uh, it can make a huge difference um, you know not just game to game but throughout long playoff runs Adam John Tortorella is a pretty honest coach he's also a pretty tough coach you played a long time in the league did you thrive off coaches who were pretty upfront, fair and tough or does some other type of coaching resonate with certain players um, I think absolutely that a certain type of coach will resonate with, with every type of player, and that's the challenge every coach has in, in the NHL and, and at every level. How do you take 23 players, and how do you kind of get a, get across to each one of them and motivate each one to you know the best of to play at the best of their ability? So, um, you know, Tortorella in in the past has been a really hard nose in your face, push your buttons, emotional kind of coach, and he really is you know on a lot of levels still that uh, he's able to you know fire up his fire up the players and really kind of bring them together. And, and unite them. So, um, you know, that's one of the things that he thrives on, that energy, that emotion, and helping, you know, find ways to instill that in all his players. So, um, you know, there's there's been, you know, Mike Kanan's and there's been really hard-nosed coaches uh, that, you know, some players may argue um, – is it, is it more difficult for, you know, a veteran player to play for a coach like that? Is it more difficult for a coach like that to stay in a, a position for a long period of time? Does it wear on players? Um, well, if they're having success and the players play great under a coach like that, then, you know, that's what's needed. So uh, it's just it's really interesting going through the league and looking at coaches that are built different ways, uh, the way the teams and organizations are built around them and how the players react to them. We know how good Columbus is in the defensive zone without the puck. They protect the front of the net very well. Their guys block a lot of shots. They also get position in front of the net, and it has been a challenge for the Lightning and all of Columbus's opponents to get their guys into position in front of the net. And again, that was a role that you had during your NHL career. Is it is it as much a speed thing? Like you need to get to the spot first as a physical like you think it's physical like you need to to muscle the guy out of the way but is it just as important to get there first to establish position so you're in the spot where you want to be it's i mean it's both there's no just one you know one size fits all answer it's if you're able to get anywhere first especially in front of the net when you establish position first it's easier to stay somewhere than for somebody to generate all the energy to move you physically out of the way especially you know the bigger you are uh so they're they're utilizing a lot more of their energy uh and trying to move you and try and get you out of the way uh so if you're able to do that that kind of works but a lot of it's time you look at players like Braden point uh you know when he scored that goal i mean how does a player like him with this many points and everything else in the series you know able to get wide open back door and have a chance to score that goal so um a lot of it is timing you know if you're standing there in front of the net 
yeah, you're hard to move, but everybody, you're not surprising anyone. The goalie knows where you are, their defense know where you are, and they will adjust. So you also don't want to be predictable. So if you're able to time it, especially maybe if you're a player that's um, not as big and physically you're just going to stand there and take you know the abuse, which probably wouldn't be smart if you're not uh, a larger player, but I think he's able to find that time and he's able to find those soft areas of the ice. Um, and, and maybe that's even decision-making where we talked about earlier. If the defenseman, you know, the fatigue, not necessarily physically was a difficult, it was off a face-off play. After you an icing, go, too. Yeah, after an icing, yeah. you can, you know, maybe you're a little bit tired. Uh, maybe the five overtime set in. Maybe the qualification series set in. You never know. And it's it's you can't quantify that. You don't know. But maybe the decision-making was just a little fraction of a second slower, and they weren't able to pick up their coverage on point, and he's wide open, and he scores that goal. So um, that's where you always wonder. You just believe. And when you find a team that believes, hey, it may take – Nine, it may take a thousand times of going harder than that and standing there and getting open and, and trying to get there first. But if we score one goal, you know, on that thousandth time, they may stop at 999. But that'll be worth it. That could be, you know, the game seven winning goal. That could be the one winning, the one goal that wins the the one goal game that puts us in, you know, into the next round. So um, you never know. You just have to believe as a team. Adam, I know you got to run. I wanted to ask you this question lastly here on my end. Andre Palat said the other day, speaking of Braden Point, that he is the team's best player. Excluding the goaltender, is he right? I think, you know, it, there's definitely a case to be made for it, especially the way he's playing now. He just does so many things well. Uh, you know, he uses his speed. Uh, he's aggressive. He forechecks. Uh, he's so strong on his stick, whether you're trying to take the puck off him for somebody uh, his size uh, when you're in traffic. Um, he's he's not predictable. So as soon as you think you have him going one way, he's able to uh, – uh, he's so dynamic. He can change direction so quickly. Uh, so he throws other teams' defenses off balance, whether, um, you know, you're back-checking or, or you're trying to pick up other – coverage, whether you're a goaltender trying to set up and, and work on your angles, uh, as soon as you think he's kind of lined up on a shot, then he's he's as good a, a playmaker to players you know, like Kucherov and, and Stamkos when he's healthy and, and the rest of the team. So there's so many things that you have to worry about with a player like him. He really drives so many different parts of, of their game, whether it's you know offensive or, quite frankly, even defense. Just by having that puck possession, which we talked about last game, made a big difference. You know, He's able to drive a, a lot of parts of the Lightning's game. Well, Adam, we appreciate it, man. I know you've got a busy day. Enjoy the hockey this afternoon, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Halsey. All right. Adam Hall joining us here on the show. If you want to react to anything we had to say during that interview, hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. By the way, Wednesday's game, that's going to air on 95.3 WDAE here in Tampa Bay. And, of course, that game will be noon with a pregame starting at 11.30. Mish, that's a, uh, an early start for us, but that's okay. Hopefully, if it goes into five or times, we'll, we'll get off at a decent hour. <laughs> eat a big breakfast, Greg. <laughs> that's right. Eat In a case. big breakfast. In case. I, I want to talk more about, obviously, the game coming up today. Get your thoughts on that as well. But also the comments that Andre Pilat made regarding Braden Point and also Tuka Rask and what's going on across the league. We'll talk about that with Dave when we return. It is the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Thanks to Adam Hall. Of course, Dave, I had to reference that Pittsburgh game, didn't I? Back in uh, You did. I mean, well, I remember... I remember that 08 run for Pittsburgh, yeah. and it was on the strength of that run that the Lightning, under new ownership in the summer of 08, yeah. brought in Adam Hall, Ryan Malone, Gary Roberts. Wasn't he on that team? 
He was. He was. Was Recky on that team too? Recky came in. I can't no. remember if you – okay. So they brought three players from that 08 yeah. Pittsburgh Cup run to the Lightning. And Adam Hall had a, had a really good stint with the Lightning. He was a big yeah. part of that 2011 team that that went deep in the playoffs, along with Ryan Malone. He scored in that over. He scored during that overtime game that Sakura, who actually the, the the tale has it that he told Pierre Maguire going into that third overtime he was going to score, and he did. <laughs> but Hall scored in that game, and he had a couple of big goals uh, yeah. in the Stanley Cup Finals, and he was a very good role player. I mean, the thing about him that you kind of like today, Dave, that hybrid of a big physical guy who can play on the third or fourth line, but also chip in offensively and can skate a bit. He provided that. Obviously, Malone at the time was a top six forward who, you know, for different reasons, maybe it didn't work out as well in Tampa Bay that it did in Pittsburgh, but he was your prototypical power forward, you know, that you liked, who had that size and speed. But both guys brought that physicalness that, you know, they could play it both ways in playoff hockey, which, you know, look, as we've talked about it before, you know, if the the refs aren't going to call as much as you'd like, and you're a skilled team, it's nice to be able to throw out some bulk out there that can knock people around and, and play that way if need be. I agree. And, you know, the Lightning did make a concerted effort, as we've discussed during the off season, to bring in guys who fit that mold. And certainly at the deadline with the additions of Coleman, Goodrow, and Bogosian, and all three of those guys have had an impact already in the series, in my yeah. opinion. Well, and that was the question, too, coming in, because this was going to be his first opportunity to play in the playoffs. Of course, Dave, the bigger question was who was going to play with Victor Hedman. And Bogosian, I don't think, really has done anything to warrant him coming out of the lineup. I mean, he's he's got a heavy shot. You know, John Cooper, I think, had talked about being able to – or Brian Engblom did as well during our last postgame show that basically was like, you know, your point men – because we took a question, you know, how can Tampa Bay generate more shots and continue to, to break down Columbus? And he had mentioned, you know, especially I think from the guys, from the points, have to get that puck off quicker. And Bogosian's got a big shot. Uh, I think if you're a threat back there, even if it's not on net, Dave, I think as we've seen, if you can get that puck past the first line of defense, you've got a chance to get a nice bounce, whether it's off the boards or off a player, but it's so important to be able to get that shot off. And I think that's why Ryan McDonough, one of the reasons he looked really good in, in game three, I thought he was able to provide that. But Bogosian, I don't think has done anything to take him out of the lineup, and he looks pretty comfortable out there. He does. I mean, he's talked about how his skating was the one area of his game that maybe took the longest to come back following hip surgery. And we've seen that to an extent with Braden Point, too. Now, Braden Point, even after hip surgery, was pretty fast, but he looks even faster now that he is farther removed from the surgery. And Bogosian echoed that when he was asked about how he's feeling. And, you know, he said, I feel I feel as good as I've felt in years. And for a big man, he is capable of skating very well. And he said, in today's game, you need to be able to skate that well to keep up. In addition to the fact that he is big and strong, he's got the big shot, but he also has a good sense of when to step up, when to when to not step up, when to hold the line in the offensive zone, when, when it's better to back up 
and, and make the safe play in the neutral zone. And he got himself in the way of that Liam Foody pass or dump in or whatever it was in the first period that led to a ricochet and, and set Alex Kalorn and Anthony Sorelli off on a two-on-one that resulted in the first goal of the game in game three. So I agree with you. Bogosian has been everything the Lightning could have hoped he would be when they brought him on at the deadline. Braden Point continues to lead the way for this team, Dave, and maybe we shouldn't be surprised with how consistent he's been since really he entered the league. It seems like he's gotten faster each year. He's such a young and dynamic player. Might be the fastest guy in the National Hockey League. Who knows? The skill set is there for sure. I think a lot of people look at him and say, you know what, down the road you could see him being a captain, uh, does everything you want on the ice, takes the tough assignments, but also comes through when you need him the most, which would be the playoffs. Andre Pilat said after game three, he felt like he was the team's best player. Um, I actually agree with him. I have said over the last year, take this comment, however you wish to take it, that if you define best player as best two-way player, then I think Braden Point is that guy. I think he gives you offense. I think he gives you defense. I think there's no doubt Nikita Kucherov is their best offensive player, most dynamic. You can make the case, excluding the goaltender, that Victor Hedman is their most important. I think that's a fair point based off of his skill set and the position he plays. But at least up front, I think there is a very strong argument that you can make the case when you take everything into the equation, what makes a great hockey player, that point is the total package for the Tampa Bay Lightning. There was a reason why he made the team out of camp in what was his first pro season. And to date, I believe he's the only player under this current management group to make the jump from junior hockey straight to the NHL. So not college. College guys can be a little bit older. But from junior hockey at age 20 and his first year of eligibility to go to the AHL. And again, that's a distinction. So like Jonathan Druin, for example, it was either NHL or back to junior hockey, and they'd done that once already, and they didn't want to do it again. And so they they kept him at the NHL level when he was 19. But Point could have gone to the AHL. And in that 2016-2017 season, he forced their hand because that's not really the way – the Lightning organization tends to do things. They like their young players to get some seasoning at the minor league level, and Point was too good. I mean, he basically forced their hand to keep him, and he had a terrific rookie year, even though he missed about five or six weeks with an injury. And as the Lightning made their furious push down the stretch in that year, they would miss the playoffs by a point, but with all the injuries – Stamkos was out, as we know. Johnson was in and out of the lineup. Point became the number one center as a 20 and then 21-year-old, playing a lot with Palat and Kucherov, <laughs> his line mates now. And the Lightning almost did it. They missed the playoffs by a point, and he just has not slowed down literally or figuratively since. So you're right. He does everything well. And you look at his face-off numbers in this playoff year. He is coming into this game among the leaders in face-off percentage. He is at 61.1%, and that includes the round-robin games. But that is good for sixth in the league. So he's winning draws. He's being creative offensively. He's being solid defensively. And I, I agree with you that he is 
extremely well-rounded and one of the Lightning's top two-way players for sure. I think we, we talk about other players in that same breath, like Anthony Sorelli is a really good two-way player. Andre Pallad is a really good two-way player. But Point certainly is up there and and deserving of the praise that he is getting. There's no question. Yeah, and I, I know sometimes it's tough to label somebody that because so many different players, Dave, mean so much to a team whether it's Victor Hedman, Vasilevsky, for years it's, it was Stamkos, Kucherov is a dynamic player. So I, I understand you don't want to give somebody that label because that can change every year. But the, the thing about Point that's interesting, and I'll move on from this, is his consistency. And I think that also makes you a great player. You know, we talk about Hall of Famers. We talk about the ones that can do it year in and year out. They're the most consistent. And I think that's... That separates the good players from the great players. And I think Point is on the verge of that, if he's already not there, of really being that guy for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Dave, it was interesting listening to John Tortorella's comments after the game in Game 3. He basically said, that wasn't the team I recognized. And he felt like fatigue started to play an, uh, a big deal in this series. Now, I don't know if that was because that's an, a convenient excuse. On the surface, it may look like that, but we have talked about it before with the five overtime game uh, in game one, but then also looking at what happened in the preliminary rounds for Columbus, that maybe when you take a step back, that is a legitimate excuse. He did mention that a couple of different times, and he, he basically clarified yesterday that you know he's not a doctor, but it did look like this team wasn't necessarily physically fatigued, but mentally fatigued. And maybe that game one long overtime marathon is going to have more of an effect on Columbus than Tampa Bay. Time will tell, but at least that was the first time one of the coaches in this series acknowledged that fatigue in some capacity played a role in one of their losses. Well, you're asking me to get inside the head of John Tortorella. Oh, boy, Dave. Don't do that, please. <laughs> and I don't know that I can do that. There may be a little gamesmanship there. He may be com completely honest in his assessment. He may be doing both. He may be being completely honest, and he also may be exhibiting some gamesmanship to say, yeah, we're, we're dog-tired, you know, <laughs> and then they come out in game four and don't look it. That was why I was curious to get Adam Hall's take on this, and he did acknowledge – that the mental strain often can be tougher to endure and overcome, if that's the right word in this situation, than the physical toll that playing a lot of hockey in a short amount of time can do. But it is possible to get mentally refreshed, too. And, look, it's, it's beyond question that the Blue Jackets did not play well, at least after the start, in game three how much of that was the lightning the lightning had a hand in it too just like in game two columbus had a hand in how the lightning looked how much of it was the start you get three power play chances including a long five on three you come up empty and then you're down one nothing after one that can be deflating so it's not like we can just put the blue jackets into a bubble and say game three was the game where that was the tipping point, right, <laughs> where all of this cumulative hockey beforehand led to this result. Like what happened in the game may have had an impact, too, in that they were a little deflated. 
that they had this glorious chance to go up, and we know how good they are with the lead. They squandered it, hit a post on the five on three, and then gave up in their minds an uncharacteristic chance in that it was a two-on-one against, and they're down in the game. And I understand they tied it early in the second, but the lightning had jumped at that point, and I think it snowballed in the second and the third. Will there be a carryover effect to today's game? We don't know. But whether what Torts was saying is completely accurate at that time does not necessarily mean that in game four we're going to see the same quote-unquote tired Columbus team or a Columbus team that hit a wall, to use his phrase, we don't know that we're going to see that team in game four. Maybe getting a couple of days, get away from it, refresh, understand they do not want to be behind 3-1 in the series. Adam Hall talked about their mental toughness and how they've bounced back from tough defeats before. They followed every loss with a win so far in this playoff year, which tells you something. So I guess we'll, we'll have more to say about this topic after we see how the Blue Jackets look today. But here's where the gamesmanship was coming in potentially, and I don't know if it is or it isn't. That's why I said I can't get inside his head. From the Lightning side, I don't think that you can expect to see a Columbus team that has hit the wall. If you can force them back to that wall, great. (laughs) With your play, great. But that's what we said about game two, and you and I were on the same page on this, that just because Columbus played seven and a half periods and lost in game one did not necessarily mean that they were going to roll over in game two, and they most assuredly did not. So I think from the Lightning standpoint, go in with the expectation that you're going to see the same hard-nosed approach from Columbus that you have seen for much of this series, but you did not see for much of the second and third periods in Game 3. It is the Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Again, Wednesday's game, that'll be a noon start. Pre-game's at 11.30. That'll be on 95.3 WDAE and also, too, of course, Lightning Power Play. Dave, let's maybe, if you want to, unless there's anything else you want to hit on this game today. I mean, I think we're, we're talking about some certain scenarios that may play out and, and can Columbus get to their game? Is fatigue yeah. going to be an issue? Um, anything surprise you yesterday in terms of where we are right now overall in the playoffs? I think the one thing that sticks out, the Islanders de- defeat the Capitals 2-1 to one in overtime. They're up 3-0. In that best of seven, and and here again is, you know, uh, the Islanders kind of a, a workmanlike performance. Barry Trotz, all these things we've talked about him in the past. What type of coach he is, and what type of team the Islanders are, and you know, Washington. I don't want to f- say facing that Pittsburgh scenario, but maybe hitting a bit of a wall. And is this the start of a little bit of a decline, or just a tough matchup for a team like the Cats? Well, the Islanders are good. There's no question. They were the hottest team in the league at the start of the year, or at least one of them. Didn't they have like a 17-game point streak at the start of the year? And we talked about this, Greg, a few weeks ago with Dan Rosen, who covers the NHL for NHL.com, but he's based in New York. And we had him on after the Rangers had been eliminated, but the Islanders were still in their playing series with Florida, but had been looking good and we're up 2-1 in that series and they would close it out in the next game and Dan Rosen mentioned 
how getting healthy for the Islanders really helped their team, and specifically the defenseman Adam Pellick, who was on their top pair with Ryan Pollock. And it's it's interesting to see that you take one guy out of the lineup, and Pellick was out long-term because he had a pretty serious injury, and he would not have returned had the season progressed on schedule and the playoffs had begun in mid-April. But with the pause, he got healthy, and now he's back in their lineup. And I don't know if it's if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Like you take one defenseman out, and it can affect a team that much. But it did. It 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 affected the chemistry of how Barry Trotz wanted to work his six defensemen. And he's he's relied on more depth because Boychuk got hurt in the Florida series, and I don't believe that he has come back yet from his injury. So they've slotted in Andy Green, a veteran guy they got at the deadline from the Devils, and Green has has fit in very nicely. But getting Pellick back was pretty important for their team and how they want to defend. So I think they've found their game, the game that the league saw at the start of the year when they were one of the toughest teams to see in the NHL. And they are a very tough team. And like Philadelphia, like Columbus, like... St. Louis, when we normally see St. Louis, I don't know what we're seeing from the Blues right now. (laughs) They got a big win in their game last night. But usually, if the Blues get a lead, if Columbus gets a lead, if Philadelphia gets a lead, if the Islanders get a lead, they just shut it down. And it becomes very hard to battle back against those clubs. I think we can even put Montreal in in that boat now based on how they have played in this playoff year. They are a tough team when they get a lead, too. But let's remember in this Washington series, Greg, the Islanders have trailed in two of the three games. So it's not like they just grabbed an early lead on the Caps and then locked it down. They rallied from 2 nothing down in game one, and they were down very early in game two. Ovechkin scored in the opening shift, and that was, I believe, a 2-2 game going into the third of game two and the Islanders won that and obviously yesterday's game they didn't trail but it was tight and they ended up winning in overtime and I think what it goes to show is that the Islanders are are comfortable playing certainly with the lead but they're also not discouraged playing from behind and if we go back and look at one signature moment in this series it was Holpe's goal and I'm calling it Holpe's goal because it was on him the one he allowed to Jordan Everly in the final minute of the second period of game one with the Capitals up 2 nothing, And it was a goal that 99 times out of 100, he stops, talking about Holpe. But he muffed it. It was a bad goal. It opened the door for the Islanders. They storm back. They win game one. And it's funny how a series can, can take on a life of its own because that goal seems to have set the tone for what we have seen since, which is the Islanders playing with their chest puffed out very confident, and the Capitals not really looking like the same dynamic team that certainly they were during the regular season and the one that has had so much success during the Ovechkin era. Losing Backstrom hurts too, clearly, and he went out early in game one. But to me, it's a combination of how well the Islanders are playing right now, and they look extremely dangerous if you're going to get them in a series, as the Capitals are finding out, coupled with... A bad goal by Washington 
that seemed to spur on the Islanders and, and get them going in the series. And now they're up 3-0. It's the only series that has the potential at this point to be a sweep because all of the other series, you know, both teams in the series have won at least one game, including Chicago, which won last night. I and know you were, on this, you were on this train earlier. Barry Trotz is the best coach in the league. Well, he's he's certainly, it, he certainly can coach defense. There is yeah, no and, question. But he's done it at different places. Yes. I, I think when you do it in, you know, once, it's, it's kind of like, all right, well, let's, let's see. To be that successful, you know, and let's face it, different times in the game of hockey. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, yep. you take a, a, young, uh, a young franchise like he did early on, then you go to Washington, then you go to where he is with the Islanders, you win a cup, and, you know, we talk about players getting over that hump and elevating their status. Um, in league history, I think Barry Trotz, you can say the same thing for coaching, but he's done it over a, a number of different years with a number of different teams that I think it's fair to say if you were to take a poll again and, and say who's the best coach in the league, if Barry Trotz isn't getting the majority of those votes, then there's probably uh, an error in your system or you know something else might have gone wrong. Who knows? But uh, he's a heck of a coach, and he has his organization right now, his team, Almost ready to uh, to get by Washington, which would be pretty incredible. And I didn't mean to imply that he can't coach yeah. offense either. Sure. But what he has done to these franchises, and and look, Nashville, he was there from the beginning. So, yeah. and and for a lot of years, they didn't have a lot of offensive pop. So they won with defense. But when he got to Washington, they went from one of the worst defensive teams in the league yep. to one of the best. And then with the Islanders, they went from the worst defensive team in the league. And I believe if they didn't finish first, they were in the top three or four in his first year last year in terms of team goals allowed per game. And, you know, the Washington team that, that he took over, they needed to, to play better defensively. But let's not forget, he had Backstrom. He had Ovechkin. He had John Carlson. He had Oshie. He had a young Kuznetsov who was, who was growing into an elite offensive player he had a lot of offensive weapons. Not to say the Islanders don't have guys who can score, but really most people look at the Islanders and say Matt Barzell is their game breaker, and Andrews Lee can certainly put the puck in the net, but it's a much different makeup in terms of where you're going to get offense from on the Islanders than on the Capitals. So he is he has put his focus on that team, making sure they defend well, which they do, but they also are capable of getting offense from all four lines. I mean, that fourth line with Sezikis, Clutterbuck, and Matt Martin, they are a pain to play against. And they are really, really good at what they do. And they can score, as they have done in this series against Washington. Hey, Lightning fans, join us each game for our playoff second screen experience while you watch the Bolts take on the Jackets this afternoon. Download the Lightning app or visit lightningvision.live and tune in 15 minutes before puck drop for original content, interactive games, fan polls, trivia, and more. Dave, great stuff as always, bud. We appreciate it, and we will talk to you during the pregame, which starts at 2.30. Sounds good, and we'll break it all down tomorrow when we meet at noon. From noon to 1, it'll be a lot of fun. No doubt about that. All right, that was Dave Michigan. Thanks to Steve Versnick, who did a great job producing. We've got the block party coming up next at 1.30. It's the Power Lunch replay, and then, of course, 2.30 pregame. And then don't forget, on Wednesday, 
That game is going to be game five at noon. 11.30 is pregame, so make sure you adjust that to your schedule. 95.3 WDA will be carrying that, and, of course, you can listen to it right here on Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Linnelli. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you on the pregame coming up at 2.30 on Lightning Power Play.